Our scripture reading this evening is from the uh, Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. Hear now God's word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and, without, and with, uh, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word this evening, and in particular as we consider the Lord's prayer and this third petition, I ask that you would... Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and help us to understand, Lord, from, uh, and hear from you in this time. I pray also that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, actually, before we begin the sermon, did this again. Let's uh, read our... Um, Lord's Day text from the Heidelberg Catechism. So this is uh, Trinity Psalter Hymnal, page 895. Caught myself that time. 
page 895, will be in Lord's Day uh, 49, which is only one question, question 124. What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means. Help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. So now, Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as our uh, lesson from the Heidelberg Catechism says, we are considering this evening the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is at the top of your outline printed there, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we think about this, one thing I was struck with this week is uh, just reminding myself of the fact that this prayer that we are considering over the last few weeks and the next few weeks is called the Lord's Prayer, that it is a prayer that was given to the disciples, but to all of God's people throughout history by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the reason I bring this up is simply to highlight, as we consider our petition this evening, the simplicity and the sufficiency of this prayer. On the one hand, the simplicity of it, it is only six petitions long, right? It could have been a lot longer, but Jesus summed up this prayer in only six petitions. And yet with that simplicity, there's also a sufficiency to it, right? That in this prayer is the sum, you could say, of all Christian prayers. John Calvin says this, All things that we ought, indeed all that we are able to ask of God, are contained in this formula of prayer delivered by Christ, our divine Master, whom the Father has appointed to be our teacher, and to whom alone He would have us to listen. So, Christ as our teacher, Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, gives us this sufficient, simple prayer, and in it contains all that we need to know about prayer. So in His care and His wisdom, He gives us, and in particular, I want to highlight this night because we are faced this evening, as we'll see in point two, we are faced with a prayer that is in particular among the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. It is perhaps, and I think it ought to be, we'll see, a challenging prayer for us. And yet we want to remember that this is a prayer that we need to pray. It is a prayer that is given to us by the Lord Himself because we need it in our lives. And so as we hear that, as we consider the, you know, where we are in the Lord's Prayer, as we remember that it is the Lord's Prayer, we move on to point one, considering the third petition on earth. The third petition uniquely contributes to the Lord's Prayer while it both informs and is informed by those prayers that precede it. So my point here with point one is uh, simply to say that there is, even though these are distinct prayers, distinct petitions that the Lord gives us, that there is within the Lord's Prayer, it seems, a certain uh, logic, that there is a certain flow within this, that these prayers aren't you know, abstract, separate things, but that they actually help to uh, reinforce each other, that they actually add meaning, they help uh, you know, uh, interpret one another. Again, that there's a logic, a structure to this prayer. So point A, this prayer gives us the how of the first two petitions. So these, again, these aren't disparate prayers that are just thrown together. There's a logic to them. And we can think about that by thinking through the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We could ask this question, what is the purpose of all things? What is the goal of all things? Why did God create everything in this world, in this universe? And we could say that the purpose of all things is 
the first, or corresponds to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, right? Hallowed be your name. That the goal of all things, the purpose of why we were created is summarily, you know, to, to summar, summarize by giving God all praise, giving Him all glory, hallowing His name in this world. So we pray that. We pray, hallowed be your name, both now and forever. And yet, then we ask the question, how is this hallowing of God's name, this making great, this making glorified God's name, how is that accomplished, you know, practically speaking? Well, we can say that it is accomplished through the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, that God's name is hallowed in His creation, ultimately by His kingdom coming. Again, that's why we pray. We pray, your kingdom come, so that we might hallow God's name. What is the end of all things? It is the kingdom of God in its consummation. When God rules over all things, both heaven and earth, that is when his name will be hallowed in all of creation. Yet we can then back up and ask a third question. How will this be accomplished? How will God's kingdom come in this world? And that is where we get to the third petition this evening. That the third petition really is the means for the second petition, which is the means for the first petition. That we pray, your will be done, and in doing so, we are uh, you know, advancing, we are uh, understanding this in the context of the first two p- petitions. Right? That God will be hallowed, that his kingdom will come as in history, his will is accomplished in this world. And yet, as we think about the logic of the Lord's Prayer, and in particular, the logic of the third petition itself, we might ask the question then, isn't this prayer a little bit uh, redundant? Right? As we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that a little redundant in the sense that God's will, in one sense, is always done? That God will always, in everything, He will accomplish His purposes. That God's will cannot be thwarted. So, does it make sense for us to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Doesn't that seem a little redundant? Because it's going to happen anyways. And yet what we want to see here is there is a reason, there's a particular reason that Jesus gives us this prayer. It isn't redundant, it isn't unnecessary, it is truly a necessary prayer to pray. And one way to think about this is if you look at the prayer itself, and we will be getting into the Greek just for a moment, but in the Greek, and it's reflected in the English, you don't need to know Greek, but you'll see this prayer doesn't say, Lord, do your will. We aren't saying, God, do your will in the world, right? That would be redundant because God is going to do his will in the world. What we pray, rather, is this, in the Greek, would be a passive imperative. We don't say, God, do your will. We are saying, God, your will be done. That we're not primarily looking at God as the agent of this, but rather we're asking God, amongst your creatures, amongst this world, Lord, let them, let the earth, let all the things on this earth do your will. Again, God, you know, not, God, just do what you're going to do and, you know, let it happen, but God, in the earth, amongst us, amongst your creatures, let your will be done. And this leads us to point uh, B then. The primary intent of this prayer is not to change God, but for God to effect change on earth. And as we pray this prayer, as we think about what it's actually saying, right, your will be done on earth, what we want to acknowledge is that on the earth and just in history as God accomplishes his purpose and pur- or purposes in this world, God uses means. Right? That God doesn't primarily do things directly in this world, but he uses means to accomplish his purposes. So, of course, this prayer is still to God. We're asking God to do something. We're saying, God, your will be done. But we're praying primarily that God would bring about his will through agents, through the things of this world, that essentially all the things in this world would be aligned to that perfect will 
of God, and in, in particular, not just you know, generally the world, but we are praying in particular about humans. We're praying about ourselves that we would be conformed, that we would be aligned to God's will. And we see this even in the language of the catechism. Right? What does it mean, your will be done? Well, first, help us and all people. And then to the second paragraph, help everyone carry out his office and calling. So the prayer is directed primarily at God that he would accomplish something, but it's praying that God would do that through conforming human beings, conforming us in particular to that perfect will. And we see this also just in the uh, addition of the location, right? That we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And with this, we have this uh, contrast between what is being done in heaven, in particular by you know, angels, as the catechism talks about, but by the heavenly host in heaven, what they do on a daily basis versus what we do as humans on the earth. That in heaven, there is a perfect conformity to the will of God. That the wills of all the creatures in heaven are conformed perfectly to do God's will. And so the prayer then is, as we look at that heavenly model, we ask God to do the same thing on earth. That on earth, all human wills would be conformed so that God's perfect will will be accomplished. That through conforming all people to his will, God, we pray, God will accomplish what he is going to do in this world. Again, primarily his kingdom coming and his name being hallowed. So the focus, again, the focus is on God changing us, not on changing himself. This brings us to point two then, as we understand then what, what, what we are saying in these words, what we are actually praying for God to do, we get to point, point two, a battle of the wills. This petition is given to God's people in order to more and more conform our wills to that of our Heavenly Father. Now certainly this prayer is broad, right? The scope of it is on earth. It's all of creation, uh, right? That we see heaven as the model and then we want earth to be in conformity to that. The, The scope is all people, right? All of us, every single one of us, that we would be conformed to God's will. But as we pray this prayer, first and foremost, what we want to do as we pray this, what we want to focus on is ourselves, our own wills, our own inclinations, that we want ourselves to be conformed to God's will first and foremost. And as we pray this, as we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this prayer ought to be, as I mentioned earlier, uh, ought to be a challenge to us. This is a challenging prayer for us. Point A, to pray your will be done is to surrender all that we are to God's perfect will. I would argue that this prayer, amongst the other petitions of the Lord's Prayer, is a uniquely challenging prayer to pray as God's people. As we think about what we've studied so far, the first two petitions are relatively easy, I think, for us to pray. That it is easy for us to pray for God's kingdom to come. Right? Just as we talked about this morning, as we looked at John's Gospel, that you know, we are longing for victory over uh, our enemies in this world. We're longing for redemption in this world. So it's easy for us to pray, God, you know, conquer your enemies, bring about your kingdom in the world. And it's easy in some sense to pray, hallowed be your name. We long for all things to work for the glory of God. And yet it is hard to pray, or perhaps harder, I should say, to pray this prayer because it is calling for God to change us, to conform us, to do something difficult in our own lives. And It is, you could even say it's a dangerous prayer. We're asking God to do something that we might not be ready for, that we might not be fully willing to do. If we were, you know, God would just give us the option, we might not want him to conform our wills, to change our desires. And this is in part, of course, because of sin. 
that our wills are tainted, they're twisted by sin, that we naturally, right, because of the fall, that we are disinclined to obey God's will, that we are hostile to God's will and to His ways, that we tend towards disobedience. And as we uh, we considered a few weeks ago in Romans 7, that, you know, we have this internal war within us where part of us wants to do God's will, that we have this inner man that desires to do it, but we don't have the ability often to carry out God's will. And our wills often are bent on things that aren't good, that we desire things that aren't in accordance to God's will, that we, have, you know, uh, that we are torn in many ways. We have uh, competing desires. We have competing wills in our lives. But even apart from sin, even apart from the fact that it's just hard to align our sinful desires to God's, it is simply just hard to align our wills. Even if they're not sinful, it's often hard to align what we want in this world, what we want for our good, for our benefit, for our joy, to that to what God wills and what God wants in this world. That to pray this prayer is to ask God to conform our wills, that which we would do in this world. It is to ask God to conform our heart's desires, those deep longings of our heart. We're asking God to perhaps change those things. It's asking God to perhaps change our hopes and our dreams, our ambitions. Those might have to change as we ask God to conform our wills to His, our our goals in this world, those things that we hold most dear. We're opening our hands. We're saying, God, change those things if it is your will. Again, not simply because we are sinful, but simply because we have many desires that might need to change. That This is a painful process. We have to submit to God's will. But even more than this, even more than this just being painful at times, as we look at the language of Scripture, to conform our wills to God's will is actually described as a form of death. That to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a call for us to die to ourselves day after day. Jesus himself, and this text is referenced in the Heidelberg Catechism, Jesus calls his disciples, he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, what does that life look like? He says, you must deny yourself, right? Deny those things that you might want, that you must take up your cross and follow me. This image of dying to ourselves, of taking up our instrument of death, following Christ and looking at His death on the cross. So as we pray this prayer, it is difficult because God might call uh, call us to die. He might call us to submit to things that we might not be willing to submit to. And so we pray this, even as we recognize that it's challenging. We pray, uh, we acknowledge, or we ask God, Lord, conform us more and more to Your will. Point B, living according to God's will is often a source of suffering and profound mystery. So not only is it the fact that it's a painful process for us, but as we do this, as we are conformed to God's will, as we live in this life, as we seek to follow God's will, it often leads to suffering in this life, and it is often a great mystery for us as Christians. And this, I think as we you know, think about this, as we think about just the, the, the difficulty, the challenge of this, text we see in the catechism language which might be a little or might feel at first glance a little bit insensitive to us the second paragraph or excuse me first paragraph help us all help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will for it alone is good that seems a little harsh i think to ask god or you know to say hey you're not allowed in any regard to backtalk that we should seek to not talk back to god as he painfully sometimes calls us to conform our will to Him. And yet, I want us to see that this language or this idea of you know, not talking back is not meant to just uh, you know, su- cause us to submit begrudgingly, but it is 
a reminder to us that we, uh, that we should look and understand who God is as we seek to conform our lives to His will. As Pastor Nick said a few weeks ago when we were going through the Ten Commandments, often as we hear God's commands, as we hear God's law, His will for us, it's often you know, presented to us as if you know, we're a, ch- a child and God is simply saying, you're going to eat your broccoli and you're going to like it too. That's how we often hear God's will in our life, that God is simply telling us to do things and He says, you're going to like it no matter what. You're going to obey no matter what. And yet... As we think about our lives, as we think about pain and confusion and uh, real suffering that we often undergo, as we seek to conform our lives to God's will, what we want to remember and see is that God has revealed Himself in certain ways as we wrestle, as we struggle, as we are perplexed at times. And what we primarily want to remember, and the motivation for us not to talk back to our God, is that first, God is good. That God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture as good. And secondly, that God reminds us and tells us very often in Scripture that He loves us. Again, He's, doing, he's not doing this because He's just this God up in the sky who's try, trying to conform us against our wills to His will, but because God loves us. God wants what is best for us. And this helps us. This is a comfort to us as we often struggle with knowing what God's will is and wrestling with why God is doing certain things in our lives. We remember what God is like. We remember His character. Even as we think about uh, a verse like Romans eight twenty eight that you know God works all things for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. That we can trust in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of unknowns, in the midst of profound mystery at times. We don't know what God's up to in the world. We don't know what God's up to in our lives. We must remember that God loves us, that God is good, that He is working out His purposes with us, His church, and His people in mind. And of course, this way of viewing the world, this way of trusting in God, requires faith. As we look at the things around us, as we look at the way things are going and things aren't adding up, we must remember in the midst of hardship, in the midst of these things, again, God loves us. God is working out His purposes. And even more than this, even more than the fact that God comforts us in the midst of suffering and mystery, uh, mystery point C, while God's will can be mysterious and unknown to us, this prayer actually simplifies our lives. Simplifies our lives. <clears throat> Perhaps you are like me uh, early on, and even I mean, to an extent to this day, I can often overcomplicate God's will in my life. I can all, often overcomplicate and think, you know, what does God want me to do in this particular situation? We can often uh, kind of over-spiritualize what it means to obey and follow the will of God. We can often use God's will as an excuse, right? That it's not God's will that I want to do this thing when really it's just me not wanting to do it, but we blame it on God. God's leading me in a different direction. And yet, what is the focus here in the Heidelberg Catechism? What does it uh, focus on as us, you know, fulfilling, uh, following, obeying God's will? Well, the f- emphasis here, second paragraph, help everyone carry out his office and his calling, in a very simple way, what does it mean for you to fulfill and obey God's will in your life? Well, it's you know, not that mysterious stuff. Is this the, the path God wants for me? Is this the, the right step before me? What it says is that to fulfill God's will, to be in accordance with God's will, is very simple. It is to fulfill your office and to fulfill your calling, to do what God has put before you. To obey God, to obey His revealed will, to obey his law, to obey him as he's revealed himself in the word, and to do what God has put before you to do. To put it even 
In simpler terms, it is to love God and to love our neighbor. What is the will of God for your life? How are we conformed to God's will? Well, it is simple. It is love God and love your neighbor. So again, we often can you know, kind of make this big mysterious thing. What is God doing in my life? How do I follow God's will? You know, how do I hear that voice of God in this situation? Simple. Through his word, he calls us to obey him and to fulfill our calling, which is easy. Of course, it's not, uh, or it's simple, but often not easy as we've already looked at. This requires us often to die to ourselves, to die to our desires, to die to our own sinful and fleshly wills, and to obey God, to obey what he's revealed to us, and to serve our neighbor. So that is the challenge of this commandment as we seek to obey God, as we seek to conform ourselves to his will. And it's often mysterious, it's often confusing. Well, then what is our motivation? What is our help as we seek to do this, as we seek to pray this prayer in our lives? And Scripture gives us a beautiful uh, and deep well of grounds of motivation to pray this prayer in an earnest and a sincere way. And so, point three this evening, as it is in heaven, praying your will be done is a deep source of comfort and encouragement for God's people. So as you pray this prayer, again, the the hope here is that we pray it confidently, that we pray this prayer not begrudgingly, not with our fingers crossed, but we pray it by faith, that we pray this prayer as with all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We pray it uh, expectantly, trusting that God will do something, that God will more and more conform us to his will. So what are the grounds for this prayer? Well, or many, I've narrowed it down to just a few, but point A, Jesus prayed this prayer as our perfect mediator and savior, as our perfect mediator and savior. As we look to Jesus, Jesus who gave us this prayer, Jesus who modeled this prayer for his disciples, knowing what we need, knowing what we need to pray, Jesus himself prayed this prayer throughout his life. That Jesus, uh, throughout his life, conformed, and his will was conformed to the will of the Father, that, as Hebrew says, that he learned obedience through what he suffered, that his will, or his goal in life, in part, was to constantly conform his will to the will of the Father, to submit himself to the Father's will. And although we are called to die, in many ways we're called to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, Jesus, of course, died, and in, in following God's will, Jesus died in a unique and literal way that his death, that his conforming himself to the will of God is the basis for our ability to conform and be conformed rather to the will of God. That Jesus perfectly did the will of the Father. Jesus perfectly was conformed to the will of the Father. Again, we see this throughout his life. His life was a life of obedience, a life of active obedience. And yet, of course, this is highlighted at the end of his life as he goes to the cross according to the will of his Father. And as he prays in the garden, that, te- that quote there, and going a little further, farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So again, literally, truly, he prayed this prayer before going to the cross. Jesus said, Lord, I don't, in one sense, want to do this. I don't want to understandably go through this pain and suffering, but Lord, not as I will, right? Dying to himself, not as I will, Father, but as you will. Your will be done in my life, Jesus prayed. And through this, through Jesus' perfect obedience to the will of God, he now sits in heaven and he prays on our behalf. He uh, does a work. He works this out in our lives by his spirit. He conforms us more and more 
to His image, to obey the will of the Father. And so we are encouraged to pray, Lord, Your will be done, because Christ on our behalf prayed, Lord, Your will be done. Point B, God's revealed will in Scripture centers around the redemption of the world, which includes us. So as we think about God's will in the world, it can often seem very, you know, very big, very, I mean, it, it encompasses everything, right? All of creation is pointed towards God's will. It's being directed by God's will. And yet the focus in Scripture as we think about what God is doing in the world, what God's purposes are in the world, the focus is personal. The focus is on redemption, and in particular, the redemption of God's people, redemption of the church. That God's will is not some abstract thing out there that God you know, arbitrarily just decides certain things, but God's will is personal. It's related to us that God does certain things on our behalf, that we are included in God's will. That God willed from eternity to save each and every one of us. That God accomplished His will through means, in particular, as we've already talked about, through sending His Son. That God worked out our salvation according to His will, according to His purposes. And again, the focus here that all of God's will is, seems to be pointed at the redemption of the world. And this ought to be familiar to us as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, but I wanted to bring us back to Ephesians 1, this beautiful uh, section talking about God's plan of redemption for all time, His election of the saints, but Paul says in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, making known to us the mystery of his will. So again, what's the mystery? What is this thing that we are often trying to struggle to find out? Well, Paul tells us plainly, according to his purpose, which is he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So as we pray for God's will to be done in this world, we are praying for his plan of redemption to continue, for his uh, you know, his elect to be saved, both in this age and however long God chooses to carry on before he comes again. He, we're praying for him to work out his plan of salvation in our lives and the lives of others. So to pray this prayer in a very real sense is to pray for the purpose of all creation, to pray for that purpose which Paul reveals to us as the redemption, the, unite, uh, the, the u- union of all things, both in heaven and on earth praying for the redemption of all people through the Lord Jesus Christ. Point C then, we pray this prayer with a view to the perfect joy and blessedness of the angels and the saints. So not only do we pray this prayer because God is working out His plans in this age, but we pray looking forward, looking at what the angels and the saints are doing now and looking forward to what we will be doing one day. We pray this prayer because it is the purpose of all creation, but we also pray this prayer because personally it is our goal, it is our end, that our hope is to be truly and finally conformed to the image uh, or to the will of God. That our hope is to live in an age where there will be no more sin, there will be no conflict between our will, what we want, what we desire, what we hope for, and what God wants. That those, thing, that those two things will finally be unified, that there will be no need to die to ourselves because we have died and we have been raised to new life, that our wills will be conformed once and for all to the will of our Heavenly Father, that our desires will be perfectly and finally in accord with God. And we don't have to pray this prayer anymore. We pray this prayer until we get to heaven. This is reflected in the, the psalm. I Chose this because we're familiar with the tune, but this is what we sing. Right? Bless him, ye angels, wondrous in might. Bless him, his servants, who in his, uh, in his will 
delight, that our blessedness, our hope is to one day fully and finally to delight in the will of our Heavenly Father. So in conclusion, as we pray, your will be done, we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth where we will only and always do the will of our Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we reflect this evening on this petition, Lord, we do pray it even now. Lord, we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we also ask as we do pray this, as we continue to pray this individually and as your church, we pray that you would provide us with the grace that is needed so that we might more and more be conformed to your will as you conform us to the image of your Son. We do pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.